Good morning. It's wonderful to be able to witness the baptisms, to enjoy seeing uh, those who've confessed their faith in Jesus Christ uh, obey his command to be baptized and go into the waters of baptism. It's just a wonderful thing to witness and a remarkable thing that actually it represents. A couple of things about the songs that were sung this morning. I think I shared with you the last time I preached that whenever I preach, we're going to have sort of retro worship and singing songs that uh, we sang early on in the ministry at Evergreen Baptist Church. Uh, the first song was written by Wes Terizaki. And uh, Wes wrote this song in, a, in 1978. This is a year after I became the pastor of Evergreen. And it was, I think it was the first song we actually sang with a guitar. So we sang it a lot um, because it was, it was in the process of introducing a biblical song, a scriptural song, uh, math, based on Matthew 11, uh, with a guitar. And Terry G's father led the music. He played the guitar and led, uh, led Come Unto Me. And so it's been a very important song in the life of our church early on because it introduced a whole new understanding of how we can worship God with something other than an organ. And then Karen Lafferty wrote the song uh, Seeky First in 1972. I had the privilege of meeting with her, and we did a concert together. I didn't sing, though. I was the speaker. And uh, she wrote this song. This song became one of the big songs of the whole Maranatha music movement. And so we used this song for almost two decades every baptism. Seek ye first. So when the baptismal candidates came, they knew they were going to hear this song, and the congregation would sing it, and then we would baptize people. So both of these songs have a historical element to it relative to the church family called Evergreen. And so, it's just, so, so for some of us, it brings back a lot of real fond memories of, of how the Lord has blessed our ministry over the years. So thank the Lord for that. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now let's all rise together for the reading of God's word. Beginning with verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words of Scripture. We thank you for what it means relative to baptism, relative to the body of Christ, and what it means. Thank you, Father, for the understanding we will receive in part uh, this morning. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations that are upon my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And I remember when I was baptized. It was about a year after uh, I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it wasn't in the church in which I was saved. I was going to my wife's church, and uh, their sanctuary had been condemned after an earthquake. And it was too old to retrofit, because I think it was made out of bricks and stuff, so... They had to tear it down so there was no baptistry, a place in which we were to be baptized. And so in the afternoon, uh, those who were to be baptized, we went to another church. It was the Disciples of Christ Church in Arcadia. I think it's on Longdon, but it's a church that we went to and then we were baptized. Now, the, up the, the blessed side of it is that the church allowed us to use their baptistry for baptism. The downside, if there is a downside at all to baptism, is 
basically the whole church family couldn't go or didn't go because it was in the afternoon. So just your personal friends and family were there. And so uh, even when we were at, at Rosemead at an interim site called Naramore Christian Foundation, uh, we couldn't do baptisms there because they didn't have a baptistry. They didn't have a swimming pool either. And so we would go to the Nazarene Church up the street on Walnut Grove on an afternoon, like around 2 or 3, and we would do baptisms there. The upside is we got to use their facilities for baptisms. The only downside was instead of having like 300 people there, we probably had about 30. And I think baptisms is far better done in front of the whole body of Christ, or as many that can attend as possible. And so baptism has always held a special place. But over the years, uh, baptism has slowly begun to devalue in the church. In fact, the church has begun to devalue in the minds of, of even Christians. And so uh, it's more, we're not more into like consumerism when it comes to churches, as opposed to really committing ourselves to a family of God called the church. Let me read to you a couple of illustrations and see which one you identify with the most, which resonates in your soul. First one, it's from, the U, it's from USA Today, and it's an article detailing the decline of water baptism in many American churches. There are now baptism-style ceremonies where God is never mentioned by parents seeking to initiate their children into a world of all faiths, says uh, Emma Dullard of San Francisco, who runs a website, CeremonyWay.com. You know, there are places you can go on website now to, to get licensed as a person to do weddings, and you avoid the church altogether. So things like this are happening. Uh, what I heard, read some years ago that they have divorce ceremonies where people who got married in the church can go into a church and get divorced in the church in front of the same people in which they got married in front of. I don't know what they do with the gifts. I you return all the gifts. Uh, they didn't say that in the article. Well, <clears throat> she conducted such an event for uh, Kirsten and Farnham, and they eliminated or removed the last name, of Marin County, California, for their baby Greer. We, this is what they said. We just wanted a larger spirit to guide our daughter but we didn't want to get specific. I wanted all her bases to be covered, said Kirsten. Interesting, huh? And they did this in a, in a, in a church-like environment. The couple grew up Presbyterian, but now we just do Christian light, L-I-T-E. Christian light, right? For Greer, who believes in angels and fairies, leprechauns and Santa Claus. So they were covering all those bases for their daughter Greer. And they call it a Christian light or Christianity light. I think some people experience church light. They, they, uh, they, they read the Bible in a, in a sense that you could probably call it Bible study light. Where we really don't get into it and we really don't try to understand it and live our lives accordingly. I'm afraid that's really happening across America. Now here's a second story about baptism. It's from Pastor Jim Dennison of a pastor in Texas. While he was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. While he attended a small church at one of the church worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and be baptized. During the service, Dennison noticed some worn-out luggage leaning against the wall of the church building, so he asked the pastor about the luggage. The pastor pointed to the girl who had just been baptized and told Dennison, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never come home again. And so she brought her luggage. 
there's a stark distinction between those two baptisms. One baptism is sort of baptism light, covering all the bases, and the other one understood the severity of the commitment being made and displayed and declared through this thing called baptism. So much so that she couldn't return to her family because her family also understood that this meant something important and very life-changing. So which of the two stories resonates with you the most? And if it's the second, then if you haven't been baptized, what's preventing you from doing just that? Here, you probably don't have to pack your luggage. You could come, be baptized, and probably return home, maybe to a home that rejoices in the fact that you've been baptized, and perhaps not. But in either case, baptism is extremely important. So let me go through a few points about baptism in this 4070 message. First of all, what is baptism? What is baptism? Now, I'll do a short word study on the word baptism or baptize. And this time we'll go a little bit into the Greek only because you'll recognize the Greek terminology, you recognize the Greek language because we get the word baptism and baptismo and uh, baptist from this particular word in the Greek. There are two words for baptism or baptize, bapto and baptizo, bapto and baptizo. Bapto means to dip or immerse, right? Bapto is dip or immerse. Baptizo, which means to immerse but has multiple meanings and implications. So on one hand, bapto just means to immerse something in the body of water or liquid, and baptismal means the same thing, except it carries with it certain implications, which we'll get to in just one moment. Now, the Bible uses the term baptizo when it refers to baptism. So in the classical Greek language, baptizo, baptizo usually involves immersion, which results in change. So we'll get an understanding of the, of the biblical language from classical Greek. The Greek poet and physician Nicander used the term, two terms in a recipe for making pickles. Just think about that for a minute. How in the world would you utilize those two terms, bapto and baptizo, for pickles? Now he related, you know, this morning, I was, I, this week I was going to ask uh, Dave Yamasha, who's one of the artists in our church, to draw Larry. You know who Larry is in VeggieTales? He's a cucumber. He's a cucumber, right? All right. I was going to have him draw Larry, the cucumber, and use him as an illustration, but I thought it might confuse you, so I didn't. Now that I think about it, we should have done it. Now, this is his description, Nick Andrew's description relating to a pickle. Uh, the vegetable should be dipped or bapto into boiling water. So you take a, a, a cucumber and you dip or bapto it into boiling water. When it comes out, it's still a cucumber. Got it? All right. Then you baptize it in vinegar, in a vinegar solution. So you take the same cucumber that's been boiled first, coming out of the water and still being a cucumber, and you dip it into vinegar and you keep it there. And then when it comes out, what is it? It's no longer called a cucumber, it's called a pickle. There's, an, there's something that has changed in the essence of the cucumber to make it a pickle. See, the first one is a temporary thing. The second one, there's some sort of change that transpires in that which is baptizo. And that's what happens in Christian baptism. You go in as a cucumber and you come out like a pickle. So you're going to remember that. I am. <laughs> Kenneth Weist, he's a theologian and Bible scholar, writes this. 
The introduction or placing of a person or thing into a new environment or into the union with something else so as to alter its condition and its relationship to its previous environment or condition. And this is a general reference to baptism. And a new life in Jesus Christ. You go in as one thing and you come out something altogether different. The Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And that's referring to a person who's just become a Christian. Now, looking at the development of Christian baptism, daily washings were, were commonplace amongst the Jews. In fact, they had all these different rituals of cleansing. They wanted to make sure that they were cleansed, before they, especially before they did anything that was considered godly. Then the Jews took this thing called baptism or immersion into, into water to, to indicate those who were proselytized into the Jewish faith. In other words, there were non-Jews who adopted Judaism and they would baptize them as an initiation. So then you get the flavoring of initiation, initiation ritual. And then John the Baptist comes along, and there's some other steps in between, but John the Baptist comes along, and then he adds another, another factor to baptism. He says, come and be baptized. Why? Because of repentance. Repent and be baptized. You, you, you repent of your sins. You confess your sins and you repent from them, and the, and the Sign of that is, was baptism. So John the Baptist baptized. And we studied that in the first part of John, the Gospel of John. But John the Baptist, in the process of doing this and introducing Jesus, then introduces a, a, another element. In a, it's a good thing I'm standing far away, huh? <laughs> when, we first, when we first moved here, the pulpit would be here. And I'd be here, like one step away from being rebaptized in Christ by myself. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things I told them, I have the staff looking for a stool, like a nice stool, because as I get older, I thought, you know, maybe I should sit while I'm preaching, so in case I fall over or something into the water, all right, to prevent that. So John the Baptist added the element of repentance. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this is written, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's what John says, John the Baptist. And then he adds another element. This is the third element for him, or for the idea of baptism. He adds the dimension of the coming of the kingdom. How does he say that? Look at the second part of verse 11, if you've turned to Matthew chapter 3. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And that's the reference to Jesus. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. And the sandal remover was the lowliest of all the servants in a household. And he said, I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. That's how incredible Jesus is, the Messiah. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's an introduction of another idea. Water baptism for repentance, confession and repentance. Now on top of that, layered on top of that is, now Jesus is going to baptize not just with water, but also with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes after Pentecost and, and fills the, the life of the believer. And so worldly practice becomes a very spiritual practice within the church. Now historically, Jesus did not baptize. We studied that also in the Gospel of John. His disciples did, but Jesus did not. And the disciples initially baptized like John the Baptist baptized, a baptism of repentance. Then after the resurrection, that's when the disciples began to practice Christian baptism, where not only is it water baptism, 
But there's this promise of the Holy Spirit entering into your life and residing within you, where you are now baptized, not just with water, although you go through the waters of baptism, but also with the Holy Spirit who lives within every Christian. Because if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not in Christ, according to Romans. So the moment you confess your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters into you in some fashion and resides within you. And that's how you become the temple of God, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. And so this, is, this baptism is an incredible, incredible uh, ritual uh, ordinance of the church that represents incredible truth where a, it becomes a public declaration of an inner reality. You are now a Christian, and you declare that through the act of baptism. Now, baptism does not save you. We can dunk you into the water over and over and over, and that doesn't clean you and clear you of your sin. It's your confession of faith in Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit within you sanctifies you, as Pastor Rocky shared last week. Then the early church started baptizing converts from the very beginning. Turn to Acts chapter 2. In the first service I said Acts chapter 3, but it's Acts chapter 2, verse 41. This is what happened in the early church. So then those who had received his word were baptized. So at the very beginning, at the very inception of the church, Disciples did baptisms, water baptisms, knowing that it was a public declaration of an inner reality, a truth that, hey, the Spirit of God has entered into you, and you're no longer just baptized with water, but also the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, why we should, why we should baptize? Why is it that we baptize? Why should you be baptized? Now, let me give you an answer to that question. We should be baptized because we love Jesus. What Christian in their right mind would say, well, I don't love Jesus? I mean, that should be our commonplace, our most our critical comment about our relationship with Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And the way we demonstrate our love to Jesus is explained by Jesus. Turn to John chapter 14. And this is repeated in John 14, John 15. This is how we love Jesus. See, loving Jesus isn't just feeling something toward Jesus, because there are moments we don't feel a whole lot. Isn't that true? Now, there's something else that demonstrates our, our love for Jesus. What is that something else? Well, here's one thing that Jesus himself says to the disciples before he departs. Look at verse 15. He says, if you love me, what will you do? You will keep my commandments. He says, if you love me, you obey me. So one of the ways we demonstrate our love for Jesus is by obeying his commands. Baptism is a command of Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We have recited this verse umpteen times from the pulpit here. And rightly so, because it's the great commission of Jesus to his disciples, to his church. Look at verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, therefore, make disciples. And what are you supposed to do the moment the disciples made? Baptize them and teach them. So it's a command of Jesus. He's telling his followers, his disciples, baptize people. Which means what if, if you're the one receiving Christ? You need to be baptized. It's a command of Jesus. My question to you, if you confess your faith in Jesus, have you been baptized? Have you demonstrated your love for Jesus by obeying his command to be baptized? 
And if not, then maybe a step you can take today is declaring your intention to be baptized. And we had about eight people declare their intentions. Eight? We had nine people declare their intentions this morning. Four of them came, comes off of one of our basketball teams. So any other basketball teams that are here, if you're in Christ and you haven't been baptized, maybe we can baptize you as a team. Not all together, but one by one. <laughs> and then three of the boys on that team have already been baptized. I remember baptizing them. But there's two more on that team we're going to talk to. Let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 8. There's a very specific baptism. And we have to be careful, as Pastor Rocky shared last week, when we look at passages, we can't build a whole doctrine on, on illustrations like this or, or stories like this that, you, that is told in the book of Acts. But we can gain something from each of them because this is, after all, the Word of God. Verse 34. The eunuch answered, this is, this is the Ethiopian eunuch and what happens to him when he, after he confesses his faith in Jesus. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or someone else? So the Ethiopian eunuch had learned some scripture, Old Testament, right? And he's asking for an explanation for Philip who has a divine appointment with the, with the eunuch. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began Beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So remember we, the teaching we just had a few weeks ago? What, is, what does Philip do with the Old Testament teaching? He points it to Jesus. He preaches Jesus. Because in only Jesus can you have salvation. But the Old Testament does what? It always points to Jesus. Pastor Rock is talking about the type of Christ in the Old Testament. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's the confession. Remember, it's not the bat water that saves you. It's your confession of faith in Christ. Verse 38, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. And Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, what do we learn? It's one of the things we learn from this text. There doesn't have to be any lapse of time between the time you confess your faith and you're baptized. It doesn't mean there, there isn't a lapse of time, but it doesn't mean there has to be. In other words, you don't have to add anything to your confession to be baptized. You have to make, now, we make sure that a person believes the right thing, but once they confess that, and they know who Jesus is, what he did, then you're a candidate for baptism. See, oftentimes I hear people say, well, I'm just not ready for baptism. I haven't grown enough. Have you confessed your faith in Jesus? Yeah, yeah you're ready. Yeah, you believe he's God's son? Yeah, yeah, you're ready. Believe he died on a cross, rose from the grave? Yeah, you're ready. That's the, that's the, that's the gospel message in a confession form. You utter those words and you're ready for baptism. I, this is the common thing I hear, very common. Once I get baptized, people are going to know I'm a Christian. They're going to watch how I live my life, and I'm not ready for that yet. Right? That's not a good reason not to be baptized. It's not like I confess my faith, and then I get my life perfect, and then I get baptized. See, the Ethiopian eunuch teaches us the moment you confess, your, you know who Jesus is, and you accepted him for what he's done for your, in your life, you can be baptized. I think that's the major teaching or point of this particular account in Acts. It's not that everyone needs to be baptized instantaneously. It's that it doesn't add, and you don't need anything else 
You don't need to add anything else to your confession of faith to be baptized. And so the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41, early converts were baptized soon after conversion. So we see that example continued. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent. Each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's all in a couple of verses there. The gospels proclaim, they repent, they confess, and they get baptized, and the Holy, they receive the Holy Spirit because of their confession of faith. So the early church practiced it. The church practiced it. All right, how should we be baptized? Turn to Romans chapter 6. How we should be baptized. Verses 1 and 5. And we're talking about the mode of baptism, the form of baptism. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So this is the dilemma uh, Paul was facing. People were saying, hey, um, God is a God of grace and forgiveness. He loves to forgive sin. Loves it. So it's okay to sin because when you confess, God gets to do the very thing he loves to do, forgive you. And Paul's saying, may that never be. We, we should not continue in sin so that grace may abound. Why? Because we are dead to sin. And then he explains how, how we can perceive that death or how we should perceive that. Look at verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Get the picture? He's saying, no, you confess your faith. You're dead to sin, just as Jesus went into the grave. So when we take you and immerse you into the water, it's just like it represents being buried with Jesus, just like Jesus, who in his earthly form, he died. And then what does it say next? We're supposed to be like Jesus. Our death is with him. We can be raised up in a newness of life. God gave Jesus a resurrected body. Brand new. A new thing. No longer a human, frail body that can die, but one that will live forever in the presence of God. A brand new thing. That's baptizo, not bapto. And so when we immerse you in the water, it represents being buried with Jesus. And when we raise you out of the water, it represents being raised in a newness of life based on your confession of faith in Christ. And now you're dead to sin. You can actually live a life where you're constantly just dying to the things that are sinful. Never perfect until you go to glory, but on the way. That should, that's, we should aspire to that as believers, which was represented when we got baptized. And then finally, by whom should we be baptized? I'm going to address this later on in another message. But, but let me just mention a couple things. By whom should we be baptized? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is our scripture reading for this morning. I'm going to make a recommendation to all of you, especially to those of you who, have never been, who haven't been baptized. For even as the body, verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all members of the, of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about church universal? 
everybody who's ever come to Christ, whether in the past or in the present or in the future, or he's just talking about a local congregation. In the letter he is writing to the church at Corinth for problems they are there. They're not getting along. So he's talking about you're all baptized into one body. And I think the reference there is mainly to the local church body at Corinth. So when he says body there, I think the major identification of the body is the local church. And he's saying you're baptized into that one body. All right, this is the recommendation. Recommendation, if you're going to be baptized, I think the best place to be baptized is in your local church, in your church, in a church, as opposed to something outside of the church. All right, and I'll unpack that more in a future message. Because there are other options right, where you can be baptized. I mean, you can, I'm sure you can get some sort of certificate where somebody can get some certified to baptize people. But I think the best place to be baptized is in the body of Christ. And the reference here, I think, is the local church. Now, you can make an argument in a case for it being the church universal. But my recommendation to you is, to my church family is, if you're going to be baptized, be baptized in the church. The church where you're going to be, um, where you're going to grow, where you're going to be a tool, where you're going to have other people who are your friends, where you're going to have fellowship, where you're going to have support in times of difficulty, where you're going to have people there to rejoice when you rejoice, mourn when you mourn. Be a part of a church family, and that's the place where you should be baptized if you have not been baptized already. And if you've been baptized in other means at other points in time and you have a question about it, you can come to Pastor Rocky or to me, and we'll talk about it with you. Like, should you be rebaptized? We'll address that in another message. Let me give you an illustration. And, uh, oh, by the way, the pastors are agents of the church, so sometimes we baptize outside the church worship context, like at a hospital, something of that nature, where somebody is a shut-in and can't get out. We will do bat, but we're baptizing as an agent and authorized by the church. But most of the time, uh, I mean, almost all of the time, we want baptisms to happen here in front of the whole body of Christ. Because you're the ones that affirm the person's salvation, that yeah, they indeed, by their testimony and by their confession of faith, are believers and followers of Christ. And we're supposed to embrace them and help them to grow. We're supposed to love them in times of joy and love them in times of sorrow. That happens, supposed to happen in the church. Let me give you an example. And tell me which one, uh, tell me how you feel about it at the end of the example when I ask you. Let's say you get into a little fender bender at Huntington Beach. You're in the parking lot. You're leaving. Somebody's coming in. A, a young man is coming in, and you have a fender bender. You get out of there, and you say something like this. You know, after you take the vital information and see if everybody's okay, you say to the person, you know, this accident wasn't by accident. I think the Lord had this accident occur so that you can hear about Jesus Christ. Now, you think that's kind of far-fetched. Remember, Pastor Kyle actually did this on the freeway. He got into a fender bender on the freeway and told the person, this isn't by accident. I think the Lord allowed this to happen so that you can hear about Jesus Christ. And the person accepted Jesus Christ after an auto accident in the freeway, on the freeway. All right. So this is possible, all right? So let's say you witness to the person, and they have a little bit of church background. They grew up in the church. And so they say yes, and they accept Jesus Christ right there on the spot. And you're just praising God, and they say to you, see that body of water? It's called the Pacific Ocean, right? See that body of water? What prevents me from being baptized in the water? And you recall the Ethiopian eunuch, and you're thinking, well, nothing. All right, here's my advice to you. This is what I think you, would be the best thing to say to them. 
you know, I would love to baptize you. It would be my honor and privilege to baptize you. But you know what would be best? If you found a church family that will love you, you declare the fact that you accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you get baptized there. A place where they will walk with you, they will love on you, they will take care of you for as long as you're part of that body. And you make a public declaration of your faith before them, as opposed to just you and me here at the beach. And I think that would be probably a better step to take than to baptize them there and then. So let's think about that. So the recommendation from me to you is, if you're ready to be baptized, get baptized. In fact, if you confess your faith in Jesus, you're ready to be baptized. But be baptized in the context of the local church. I think that's probably the best place to go through the waters of baptism. But remember this. We always keep the main thing the main thing. One of the things baptism tells us and reminds us of is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We are baptized into Christ. The water doesn't save you. Christ saves you. We cannot save ourselves. Only through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, we recognize who he is. He's God's son. He died on a cross for my sins. He rose from the grave showing us, yeah, he is God. And we accept him as our Lord and Savior, repenting of our sins. And then the Bible says we will be saved. And then baptism becomes a public declaration of that inner reality. You are now a believer and a follower of Christ. You can be called legitimately a Christian, a Christ follower. Are you there yet? In a few moments, I'm going to make an appeal for anyone who wants to be baptized to come forward, and we'll, Dan and I will greet you. We'll be up here for you. We aren't going anywhere, right, Dan? No. But before that, I want to give an opportunity for anyone who's here who's never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior to do just that and thereby become a candidate for baptism. Let's pray. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm going, to, I'm going to be repeating a prayer. And if you repeat after me, making it your own, the Lord will honor it. So think about it. It's the Lord calling you right now to change, to start to follow Jesus, to repent of sin, to become a brand new creation in Christ, a brand new beginning, a brand new start for you. Here's the prayer. Just say it. Repeat it after me in your own heart and mind, and God will hear it. Dear Jesus, I believe you are God's son, that you died on a cross, that you rose from the grave. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And I ask you into my life as my Savior and Lord. Now, if you close off that prayer with an amen. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, with the exception of our pastors, If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, welcome to the kingdom of God. And would you please indicate it by raising your hand so we can see it and support you in your walk of faith. So raise your hand now if you prayed with me this morning. Raise your hand and raise it high so we can see it. Father God, we pray that you would continue to watch over and bless our church family and you expand it by people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. 
Amen.